Well, Victoria's in jumpers. I'm in a singlet, and one thing hasn't changed though, and that's the car news. It's it's it still continues to keep going, and this week we've got a ton of things to talk about. So, if you're listening to our last week's episode, uh, Joel was hinting at some things he could talk about. Well, we know about that now, and that's the GR Super, which has been updated by Toyota, so we've got more power and better performance. Um, Fanatec, the sim racing wheel builders, um, have teamed up with BMW to release a new GT3 wheel that works in the actual race car. Yeah, so we'll talk about that and a little bit more. And um, to do all of that, I've got Joel Strickland here at Joel Strick Photo. How are you going, mate? Good, mate. Good, Ash. Nice to be back. Um, yeah, you're uh, you're sweating it out up there, and it's a little bit cooler down here. So, yeah, I've got a jumper on because um, the weather has sort of, yeah, we've been all over the place the last couple of days in terms of weather. So, yeah, typical Australia can be either end of the spectrum. And, yeah, but what a, what a massive week uh, of Huge. Um, news. And, yeah, we've got some big stuff to talk about in motorsport as well this week. As, so, yeah, it's been pretty big. Yeah, so this week I've um, been driving the Suzuki Ignis um, in the GLX spec. So this is the top of the line model from Suzuki. And here in Queensland, it retails at about $29.90 drive away. So it's not the cheapest. Nor it's a bit is on the high side, really, isn't it? Yeah, so uh... they do they do start at eighteen nine ninety for the GL. And the thing is with the Ignis is that in my mind I always thought of that thought of it as being, you know, the tiny little car within the Suzuki range. But that's not really the case. So it fits in above the Suzuki Alto and um the Bellino is like a compact hatch vehicle. And the Ignis they actually call it an SUV. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's like it's kind of like when the European car makers. I think it's because it's bend, lifted. <laughs> yeah, so they, they bend the uh, the definition of what an SUV is, but you, it's it's not actually a, a, a terrible thing, like uh, in terms of size, performance, comfort, all that kind of thing. So, what makes it interesting is that it's a four seater. Um, it's not a five-seater with two at the front and three at the back. So it, it is about maximizing a little bit of space for those rear occupants. Um, but what is interesting is that those rear seats are on adjustable rails. So if you've got something that you need to fit into the boot, uh, all you need to do is pull the second latch at the top of the seat and you can move that seat all the way forwards and you can gain another 10, 10 centimeters or so of that rear boot space, which is really, really handy. Um, it is 50-50 split in the GLX. In the GL, weirdly, it is a 60-40 split um, for the back seat. So I think that's probably something where they're just playing around with that idea of how it gets split. But you get all of the features that you kind of expect. Um, it doesn't have absolutely everything, but you do have cruise control, um, uh, your climate control as well, so not so your digital climate control, which is nice, so no dials or anything like that. Um, it is keyless entry, so all you need to do is just touch the handle and open the doors. Um, Bluetooth, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, um, automatic headlights. So yeah, it's not a it's a fairly spacious, fairly comfortable car. Um, 
okay in economy. So you're getting about six liters per 100 at the moment, um, which is very similar to the Suzuki Swift that I drove not too long ago. Um, but yeah, I think it's just for for a budget car. If you if you if you've got a fleet of fairly affordable, um, say you've got a a real estate agency or a small um, business that you have, you know you've got sales reps or something going out to a lot of different places this isn't a bad car to think about because it, it has won a number of different um affordability awards over time um because the servicing is fairly you know fairly cheap your repairing cost is quite low and um you know these this the suzuki's as i've sort of said before tend to be fairly reliable as well um, but yeah, so I've, you know, it's, it's not going to be something that you basically drive around and go, Oh, check me out in my hot car. Even though, um, you do have a number of through Suzuki Queensland, you do have a number of customization options. So you can change, um, some key, the color of key, um, interior. It's like your door handles and that center tunnel, um, as well as the the front grille, and you can add some colored stripes. So if you really want to um, do a little bit more personalization and make it a little bit more about you, or even um, uh, you know match your company colors um, to a certain degree, you do have a few more options just to play around with that personalization, um, rather than you know choosing the white or the black or whatever color. Um, you know you're looking at so yeah it's it it, it does a, a fairly good job we've had you know our foster puppy with us this week again and um the one thing that you know we had to adjust to was um yeah you only had four seats and so her um restraint only connects into a seatbelt, so you kind of lost a seat if you had her traveling with you and um so you couldn't just sit her in the middle seat um like we've done in a few other cars so far um to attach it so that was sort of just one extra thing we had to think about um but you do gain that extra width in the back um by having only just the two official seats there so those rear passengers do get that little bit of leg room um in the back but yeah it's a it's been a fun little car to get around um but we're moving into the genesis gv80 the oh, 3.5 nice. uh v6 petrol next week we're in the luxury specs so i'm very much looking forward to it and um very keen to to utilize the massage function in the driver's seat that's that's specced in it yeah it's interesting looking at the specs on that they don't do that really nice blue anymore on the ignis um no. they used to do this really nice blue but it seems to be similar price down here as well so it's that from 2990 uh here in victoria as well uh for the specs but yeah it's a good little I think car mostly the the suzuki prices are aligned it used to be yeah. um some very because obviously our um each state has slightly different stamp duty and um all sorts of you know different taxes that, that kind of thing um, which is usually why uh, when you're listening to when we talk about car prices, if it's the list price, that is just the the price without those on-road costs that do vary. So things such as um, CTP, your rego, and, your, and, and things like your stamp duty. But Suzuki, I think, are one of the excuse me, um, one of the manufacturers that have worked hard to align their driveway pricing everywhere um, just to make it that, that much easier in the communication. 
Yeah, it should be. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting little thing, and it's again one of those cars that's sort of priced in that budget for you know that first car sort of shopping thing, and yeah, it's kind of well spec for the money as well. Yeah. And I think um, you know the Suzuki Jimny has definitely helped um, bolster the sales numbers. But um, when talking to Suzuki Queensland last week, um, we caught up with them for you know like the end of year, the kind of lunch thing, and um, they're talking about some of the numbers. And so Suzuki Queensland are up thirty three percent in sales volume this wow. year, um, which completely bucks the trend of any other car maker and i think that puts them in the top six performers mm-hmm. um when you talk at volume increase it's pretty um, good on a percentage level and and i think it like certainly the jimny there's still about a seven month wait at the moment to to get into one of those um and the scale of which they're you know they're delivering each month isn't is rising significantly. I think it's about six times higher than it was when they started um, and what their initial, you know, their plans had been. And it's still not reducing that um, that that wait time at all. Mm. But I think it also comes together and showing that they they tend to, and, and I've spoken about this before, they, they tend to make smaller economical vehicles um at a good price point and people kind of when they look for those types of vehicles suzuki is the one that sort of ticks those boxes and and it's certainly they've seen increased competition from the likes of um mg they're they're kind of going for that same type of market as well where people want good value they don't need the biggest vehicle um they just want and well well specced you know in terms of everything that you kind of want for that kind of money as well yeah so and and so obviously suzuki do have a little bit more history here in that regard in those segments um and it will be interesting to see how the next year or so goes as the world um or at least australia goes back to a little bit of normality and um you know as the competition continues to increase from the likes of mg and and other similar manufacturers that are entering the market and establishing themselves to see how um you know how that competition hots up particularly when other larger car manufacturers are actually slowly stepping away from those those budget vehicles a little bit we've seen it with the the readjustment of the yaris pricing but we also see it in the reduction of models being made available by you know across other manufacturers yeah not targeting that entry point market yeah because it is a really tough market to compete in um there's not a lot of margin there's there's but there's a high level of expectation in there like could you imagine selling a car you know, to that is primarily um, either a, a, an affordable fleet vehicle or a first car for someone, and you don't have something like Android Auto or, or Apple CarPlay or Cruise Control. Um, you know, they used to be things that you could kind of, you know, were kept for like a premium model or anything like that. But you're finding those on on your entry level and you know low cost model um, across these brands. But. Yeah, so it's been good. It goes back tomorrow. And, um, yeah, like I said, we're picking up the the Genesis GV80, which I've been looking forward to for months now. Oh, yeah, that'll be good. Look forward to hearing what you think, thoughts on that. Uh, 
Yeah, so let's um, jump into motorsport, shall we? It's, uh, Formula yeah. One has been like we've got a lot of things happening, but I think Formula One has kind of really stolen the um, the, the headlines of a lot of places. So, um, firstly, we had the the Bahrain Grand Prix, and um, we had the horrific crash from um, uh, the Haas vehicle of Roman Grosjean. Um, which remarkably, you know, with the, the the leaps and bounds of which they've made in Formula One for driver safety, has obviously paid off in in this case where the the car split in two as it hit the barrier and um, yeah, at a, I think it was about a 55g um, experienced by Roman uh, in in the car and um, as the fuel cell broke open and the and the fire started he was able to eventually pull himself out of the car and thankfully only um uh sort of i think second degree burns on his hands and a, and a few burns on his on his legs but apart from that um you know for all intents and purposes uh, a crash that probably would have ended any other person's life in an earlier um evolution of the safety of that car he was able to walk away and you know was able to to be at the track this weekend um you know and uh and and you know not participate but but at least spectate this this race going on yeah it was some of the most amazing footage it was the first grand prix that i didn't actually watch live for a while i actually recorded it but got up early to watch it because of the time difference but um yeah i couldn't believe it when i saw it on the on the footage and and the fact the footage was amazing to see and the fact that when we watched it when you watch it live you know they didn't cut back to him for a while the first footage we saw of him was sitting in the medical car so that was the first sign that we saw that he was okay um but the footage when they replayed it was just amazing that the fact that the you know because it happened only a couple of corners in the the medical car was able to be there so quickly um and be on site and you know watching him trying to get out of the car but the fact that and the man that that saved his life um, was the fireman that ran from the Marshall point across the other side of the track. Yeah. He knew where Roman was and he ran to that point and put the fire extinguisher in where he was to allow the fire to ease for him to then be able to crawl out of the car. But the fact was when he crawled out, he got around the barrier, jumped over the fence. Yeah. The, the medical guys were there to help him out, but he'd lost a boot you know, and, mm. and there was a boot missing. You know, He was shaking his hands because that was obviously where the flames had got him. But the footage was just unbelievable to watch and and there were photos that were released later during the week when they got the monocoque back to the garage just having a look at the condition of it and just how how it had stayed together but how much of the force that the um the halo had taken i mean that halo saved his life um Mm. there's no doubt about it that, that you know love it or or hate it um that halo technology is is what is there to save his life because normally the car wouldn't enter that kind of barrier in that yeah. kind of angle. But there was amazing footage during the week when Ramon re- returned to the circuit, you know, there this footage of him standing there walking out of the garage, you know, he's greeted by Michael Massey, you know, the, the race director and, and then obviously the medical car driver and, and uh, the head doctor and stuff. And, and they all, you know, he massive hugs for them and massive applause. And then he got to meet the two fireys that were there to help save his life. 
and and it's just breath it's just really really touching to see and and just to see him how appreciative he is and how lucky he is and and there's an interview i haven't had a chance to watch it but formula one put it up an interview with him talking to the media during the week and and talking about his experience but yeah it was just um it was just amazing but it was interesting that another thing to come out during the week was daniel ricardo was very critical of the tv coverage and that they kept re because the race was stopped, it was red flagged, yeah. and they're all sitting in the pits, and all they're seeing is this footage over and over again. And Daniel made a really good point that it, it didn't need to be shown. Like for us at home watching it, sure, we understand that we want to see it, but they could have cut that feed and shown something else in the pits so that um, the drivers didn't have to keep seeing it over and over again because they were sitting there. And I, I seriously mm. thought, I didn't know because I was watching it on replay, but I didn't know whether they actually even bothered to restart the race. I thought maybe they might, you know, in protest say, no, they don't want to restart. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, pretty scary stuff. And then uh, just after the restart, um, one of the... Um, racing points. Racing points flipped yeah. over. Um, yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's what happened to... Was it? Uh, uh, it was to stroll, and then um, yeah, but it was a couple of years ago. We had another car flip on that same oh, circuit, yeah. but I think it was Maldonado, not um, uh, that was involved in that. But yeah, the fact that we then had a car roll over, but and even watching then, watching um, Perez try and uh, was it Perez? No. Uh, stroll, stroll, stroll yeah. watching stroll. Perez had to... his own issues towards on the last lap of the race where his yeah, car caught on fire. Engine, yeah, the engine um, let go in a massive yeah. way. And a massive fire, but um, watching uh, Stroll trying to pull himself out of that car as well was quite interesting because the way that it beached, it beached onto the um, uh, the ripple strip on the on the side of the circuit. So he watching him trying to get out, um, he had more trouble getting out than the normal Grosjean did, and Grosjean was, was you know covered by fire. But um, yeah, it was just a, it was pretty amazing yeah. race to, for it to continue on. It was pretty interesting. So, following Ricardo's comments about the the showing of the footage, um, Formula One management did come back and, and say that while you know they, they highlighted their their policies of yes, all the feeds are cut then in the moment, um, but when the driver and, and those involved are deemed to be okay, that's when they allow the the footage to be shown to highlight mm. the the safety, um, yeah. to highlight that you know this is a crash that. But it was you know, someone walked away. I, I totally understand that yeah. you know as a driver standing there watching the replays. Yes, that's probably a dis like absolutely a distressing thing mm. um, to see, particularly when um, you know for them, their families, their you know. It's a fairly small group of people involved, and um, so they probably, you know, like even Nicky Lauda, right? He um, suffered a, a very similar type of crash um, that caused, you know, his his injuries. And um, so there's a lot of personal connections to those types of incidents. But mm. I, I do, I do see the justification on the other side as well. We're going, yeah. Um, this is important to show to to highlight the you know the value of the safety and the, and the yeah. credibility of the safety that you know look at this horrific thing that has happened in and yet the driver was still able to walk away um and i think that is just as important to show maybe not the best to see when you're in the you know in the pit lane of course um but for those watching you know the millions of people watching at home um i think is a very reassuring and, and thing to see um as well even though yeah absolutely there is 
you know, prior to this or would have been a lot of people still going. Um, I'm not a fan of the, the Halo and, um, yeah, I'd rather not have it. But this, again, just completely – I think this is the best example so far we've had of justifying the Halo. Yeah, correct. Um, and it cha- I think it changed a lot of people's opinion. There was even sort of um, – uh, a couple of quizzes done during the week on, on different formats and, and it was interesting to see that a lot of people, you know, either already believed in it or now believe in it even more because of because of what it what was the prime example of what of what it actually did and absolutely you know how much it saved his life. Yeah. But not to um I guess to continue the drama, um the day after Lewis Hamilton uh, confirms that he has COVID nineteen, and um, and so that threw a whole another whole bunch of teams, drivers, people into a, a flurry of well, if he can't drive for the next uh, race, which is on uh, this weekend or the weekend just gone, if you're listening to it, and um, you know, of, of who is going to replace him. Uh, there was a number of different people. Obviously, Hulkenberg was one that came straight to the top of the of the list for a lot of people. Um, obviously, Stoffel van Dorn, the official reserve driver for Mercedes, um, as well as a few other options. And um, amazingly, after a bit of speculation and a bit of disbelief that could it be pulled off, um, George Russell was uh, named and Mercedes had done a deal with Williams to bring him across into the Mercedes of uh, Lewis Hamilton's to race this weekend and um, and bringing uh, Atkin into the Williams um, to fill in, as well as uh, Maze Pitt and filling in for Grosjean um, in, the, uh, in the Haas. But Obviously, George Russell going into the Mercedes coming from the Williams. I think it was kind of uh, too good, too good to be true for a lot of people. Um, going from arguably the slowest car yet to score a point this season into you know the championship winning car um, for for the season and um, seeing you know f- perhaps finally settling is it the car or the driver um, yeah. when it comes to driving the Mercedes and 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 it's how good it is and um, further reinforcing that this uh, so far this weekend um fp1 fp2 george russell topped the timing charts in those sessions um i can't remember where he came in the fp3 i think it was um quite close but they were doing he was top one or two i think the entire all the way through practice and then yeah. uh quality just couldn't match bodas bodas just turned yeah, so up so his week that little bit. 20 milliseconds behind um bodas in and so mercedes locked out the front uh verstappen and uh charles leclerc in the ferrari um third and fourth and um so yeah it's a uh, i think the Expectations are high that, and but he seems to be handling it pretty well. He yeah. in interviews he said he's been he was quite anxious prior to the call, confirming that he was going to be getting the seat. Um, but but since then he's been quite relaxed and obviously he's he's driven. He's been a reserve driver or sorry a test driver for them. Um, he has done a couple of you know pre and post season tests with them, um, but obviously stepping into a car during the you know even if it's towards the end of the season into into that vehicle and um, you know doing a race is a totally different tech kettle of fish but yeah I'm, I'm extremely excited to see what can happen and um, you know for him hopefully it results in him getting his first ever point for 
Yeah, he's going to do it in a, in a hopefully in a Mercedes, but it just shows them just how talented he is to be able to jump into that car and literally just drive the wheels off it and be really quick and be competitive as well. Absolutely. I think that's um, that's the key thing as well. You can't overlook the talent. He has proven in even in that um, in that Williams of his his ability. Um, and so it's not just like throwing anybody in there, but even uh, there was a great question from the post-qualifying conference um, asking Max Verstappen, I think, well, he was the first person to answer it anyway, of asking, do you need a superstar you know, or a big time driver like Lewis Hamilton in the Mercedes to lock out the front grid. And uh, Verstappen had a very good answer, I think, particularly following, you know, following on from earlier comments about it's the car and that kind of thing, saying that, well, no, you need a, you know, having a seven time world, you know, or, or I think it's like you need an experienced driver like Lewis Hamilton to, you know, in the crucial points to make the right decision. And, and you know, and that's why he's a seven time world champion, um, which I think was a fairly well said thing. It's, it's one thing to be fast, but it's also it's one thing to be able to make the smart decisions and, and do things like uh, manage your tires, manage your fuel um, to get you to the end of the race, which is something that Lewis Hamilton is just such an expert at doing. Um, whether you like him, hate him or whatever, um, he always seems to find a way to stretch the life of his tires and to just get the car at the right point it needs to be for the strategy to work rather than having the team having to adjust the strategy to make it work for for the driver which i think is just a you know a thing which has particularly in these later years definitely given um hamilton the edge in certain cases it's interesting though to see just that that's that one of those coolest graphics that they show during the race is just how the tire wear is going on certain cars and certain drivers it's it's fascinating to see um just how good you know people are using the tires and how other people are really struggling. So, um, yeah, it's fascinating stuff to see that, but yeah, looking yeah. forward to watching, um, tonight's race. Um, uh, yeah. again, uh, it is set to tape because of the, uh, the time difference, but I'll get up yeah, early. It's, I a, think, it's yeah. a bit of a tough time to do. It's a little bit better when you've got daylight savings. I think here it's a, a 3am start, which is just a bit of a tall, a tall ask, yeah. unfortunately. Um, but uh, four four a.m. Uh, and uh, get up early and, and watch the watch it. Hopefully, it's uh, not delayed like last time. But yeah, yeah, it was a bit tricky trying to watch the delay last week with you know them losing sort of forty five minutes to fix the barrier. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I've set the extended to to watch. But yeah, it should be a good good race to. Um, to, to watch and hopefully you know <laughs> if uh george scores his first not only his first points but also maybe his first podium so that'll yeah. be pretty exciting yeah definitely well okay so <laughs> we're talking about we're talking about formula one we're talking about all the, the exciting things and unfortunately sex bit of news probably isn't as fun for the formula e the um the 100 electric racing series um so after picking up some fairly big names um it seems to be that they're losing a few as well um coming to uh, following the the season that's about to start and um with bmw and audi to leave formula e focusing on other motorsport um Bit of a shock. Bit of a shock. Given yeah, the it is was a... on the up um, with adding more brands. Porsche is the latest one to 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 be joining. Um, yet, you know, BMW and Audi don't see it worth their time anymore. No, it's a big step. Like I'm really surprised to see them pulling out. Um, you know, both brands, but obviously uh, BMW are pulling out to to effectively go 
nowhere from what they've said. They haven't really said where they're going. They're obviously working more to work their e-mobility and, you know, their um, their e-drive system cars. But at least Audi have announced that they're pulling out, but they're going into um, other forms of motorsport. So they're yeah. saying that they're, they're going to go into the, the new WEC system with the LM. H, Le Mans hypercar uh, category. So they're going to be competing with Toyota, Bicolos, Glickenhaus and Peugeot, um, which is pretty exciting to see. Um, but they're also announced that they're going to go Dakar rallying as well, yeah. um, which is exciting stuff. So they released a um, cool-looking concept during the week, um, an image to go with the release, which is um, an interesting-looking SUV, um, obviously, to, to run at Dakar, but in, a, in an electric class. So um, there, that's exciting to see that, but also the fact that they're going to go back to WEC. So it's exciting. You know, we, we've kind of lost them when the, the whole diesel gate system happened and, yeah. and Porsche stayed, but they, they left. But now we're going to see Audi go back. So, uh, yeah, it, look, it's sad to have the, that Formula E um, or, and also DTM are losing, are losing brands, but at least other categories are going to, to, to win out in that respect. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it's sad to see there, you know, I think COVID hasn't helped a lot of it with people forced to, to realign their, their, what they're planning to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's never, never a good thing to see a championship losing, losing manufacturers. Yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, I think it's uh, hopefully not the starting trend for for Formula E because it is definitely fighting its legs. It's you know the they've had a with the way that that's that championship runs, they do have the flexibility to you know to introduce new elements, to change elements, to to help shape it and to continue evolving it a bit more rapidly than say Formula One can. So. Hopefully this isn't the the beginning of the end for it, um, particularly given that it is all about um, you know these brands highlighting what a, what EV trans you know um, EV vehicles can do in a competitive aspect. Um, but let's go to something that is completely the opposite to electric vehicles, and that's supercars, Australian supercars. Um, we've spoken about a little bit with um, some speculation about the calendar, but now the calendar has actually been revealed. And um, what have we got? We've got we've got Bathurst straight up. Yeah, so we're gonna. It's going to be an interesting season. There was talk because of everything that was happening with the twelve hours. We've said before that you know it won't run um, next year. It'll run the year after, and that the date is still going. Something's going to happen, and so they're going to run. Uh, they're going to start the season with a preseason test at Sid- in Sydney Motorsport Park on on Valentine's Day of all things on February fourteen. And then, um, so at the end of February, they're going to run the Mount Panorama 500. So that'll be yeah. pretty cool. So um, we're going to have that running at the end of Feb, and then they'll kick off because there's obviously no clips all next year. Um, so they're going to have then run the Grand Prix as round two, uh, then off to Tassie, uh, which is good to see because they didn't get around this year. Then off to Tail and Bend for May, uh, Winton in late May, Darwin in June, uh, and then off to Townsville. Um, then Sydney will have a night race in August, and then we're going to go to Perth for another night race, so two night races next year in September, and then Bathurst in its traditional early October time slot. Then they're going to head to New Zealand, so they're hoping by that time everything will 
will be um, sorted in terms of travel and yeah. being able to transfer between Australia and New Zealand. And then we're going to finish the season on the Gold Coast in early December. So that's pretty exciting. Um, it's going to be hot. It's going to be very December. hot. Yeah, it's can be really hot. They, the guys are going to struggle, but yeah. um, they will be in peak form, I reckon, and they'll hopefully their cool suits won't have any problem. But yeah. it's kind of like the Gold Coast in December is kind of like Adelaide in you know in 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 early February. It's generally yeah, pretty true. hot, so yeah. they're going to finish with the hot one uh, at the end of the year instead of starting with it. But uh, Newcastle will return, so it won't be the finish uh, of the season next year, um, but it will return as the opening round in 2022. Um, so. With the yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, exactly. So that'll be pretty exciting. But it's a good calendar. Um, it's unfortunately Victoria. We do get two rounds, but there's a lot of fans that are disappointed that there's no Phillip Island and there's no Sandown. Um, but you know, you've got to look at where everything works and dealing with um, organisers and stuff like that. There's no Queensland Raceway either. So there's a few sort of admissions, but mm. you know, New South Wales do pretty well. They'll get a preseason test. They'll get Bathurst, then they'll have you know they'll have um, City Motorsport Park, and then they have Bathurst again. Yeah. So um, Victoria, we get the Grand Prix and Winton. Um, New Zealand will obviously get around, and Queensland um, gets obviously Townsville, and then Gold Coast. But yeah, yeah it's a it's an interesting um, uh, it's an interesting season. Um, two night races will be great. Uh, they should be really entertaining to watch. Um, there's still a bit of stuff going on with silly season. At the moment, we don't have everything lined up in terms of where people are going, where wrecks are going, teams and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's quite and interesting. Is this season shorter than uh, normal? No, it's probably about right because okay. um, February, the preseason test is normally around that kind of mid-Feb. Um, yeah, right. Okay. And then it we just used... seems short when looking at the Formula One calendar when it's, you know, 21 or 22 races and you look at 12 rounds. I know that they do a lot of, um, a lot more races at each event, but it just, uh, when you look at 12 rounds, you go, oh, is this normally the short? Um, but I think that uh, I think the advantage of this kind of slightly still mixed up calendar for supercars is the fact that they're visiting tracks that they haven't visited for a while or, you know, and, and we're not visiting the traditional ones. So I think it adds in a little bit of um, a little bit of the unknown factor that like what we saw in Formula One this year. Um, and what makes it interesting is that with the um, with teams visiting Mount Panorama, in February, they're going to have some data from this year's car or from, you know, from that season's car. Mm. Sure. It's going to be developed a little bit by the time you get to October for Mount Panorama again. But I wonder if there's going to be, you know, some cars are going to be better set up because they've got race, um, race data from that track earlier in the year. Yeah, and particularly with new teams and new drivers as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. that, that's going to be interesting. You look at, for example, looking at the whole new lineup over at DJR, um, you know, they get a, a chance. The, the rumour is is that the Mount Panorama 500 will be split into two 250K races, yeah. um, which is, you know, pretty interesting to watch. But the fact that we'll, um, we haven't had a sprint round at Bathurst in years uh, is pretty cool to, to, pretty to the fact that we have, you know, two of them uh, or two events there you know during the during the season so yeah i'm looking forward to seeing um what happens with you know the season next year absolutely okay um this one was a little bit uh 
little bit unexpected, but certainly definitely welcome. Um, and uh, this is a team up between Fanatec and BMW. So, and if you're not familiar, Fanatec are a maker of um, high quality sim racing. Um, uh, steering wheels and peripherals uh, that go along with that. And um, they've so, teamed up with BMW to be a technical um, supplier for the recently re- released uh, BMW M4 GT3 race car. And what they've done, they've built a... In developing the steering wheel for that car, Fanatec have actually engineered the new... Um, steering wheel to also be compatible with their base station. So if you own a Fanatec base for your sim setup, you can go out, buy this wheel that works 100% with the race car and connect it to your sim and get that authentic experience. And if for whatever reason, this is probably only applying to a very small number of, of drivers that have been involved, but if you really wanted to, you could pick up your steering wheel, walk over to the M4 GC3, jump in, connect your steering wheel and drive, um, which I think this is pretty remarkable and um, sort it's of- It's pretty cool to be able to do. Yeah, and it's a pretty big step forward for sim racing, isn't it? That to, to yeah, I don't think we've really had, you know, outside of one-off things, but from a mass production point of view, um, really ever had a product like this that is one hundred percent compatible with the product it's, you know, um, it's designed to aesthetically go with. Yeah, and for guys that are wanting to drive and spend time in that car, you know, it becomes second nature. The steering wheel is exactly the same steering wheel Absolutely. between the two. So, yeah. you know, that's uh, that's pretty cool to be able to do that. Um, so it's made it fully out of carbon fiber. Um, so I, I have a feeling it's going to be um, – there's no pricing information, but I, I feel like it's going to be – absolutely expensive um fanatec can get quite up there in terms of price um but obviously this is going to be one of those things that if you want a legitimate um experience this is certainly an option to go for it also probably a pretty cool conversation piece wouldn't you think Oh, yeah, that's very cool. Um, yeah. And it's a work of art. The thing actually looks amazing in terms of yeah. the, the build and everything of it. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. And because it uses the same quick release and the CAN bus for communicating with the car, I have a feeling you could probably use the steering wheel in other vehicles that use that same CAN bus as well. Um, not that I'm sure there'd be many people testing it, but it probably would be somewhat compatible with those vehicles as well, I'd imagine, because it's a it's a universal standard for for those sorts of things. But yeah. overall, pretty cool. Probably going to be extremely expensive. No pricing at the moment. Um, but yeah, just uh, if you've got an insane sim rig, this is have a look, <laughs> check it out. <laughs> uh, but Joss, we've got uh, we've been talking about it a little while, but now we've got a proper trailer and release date for the Jim Carner video. Yeah, this was exciting. It came across uh, my feed during the week. Um, we'd seen photo, well, we talked about it previously on the show um, that there'd been some filming done um, around, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Annapolis uh, in the US, which is very close to the heart of um, Travis Pastrana. So apparently yeah. he's a local local boy. So um, they've actually, Hoonigan have actually released the full trailer um, for Travis as new Jim Carter, which is. Um, 
you know, the fact that we're going to now going to have Travis in it instead of Ken Block, the fact that Subaru have returned. Um, they were one of the original um, supporters of Ken when he first started it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's released uh, this coming week. So they're saying Tuesday the 8th um, in the US. So it should be in the early hours of the 9th Wednesday for us here in Australia. Um, but it's very, very impressive. Just even watching the footage, just having a look, and um, we'll share it in the show notes the look on travis's face i don't think i've ever seen him concentrate so much in his <laughs> life ever he is working hard in that car um to make sure you know that he's, he's pulling everything off but yeah it's it's fascinating footage to watch um it is all out it is typical jim carner um you know lots of slide lots of smoke lots of wild stunts um yeah, it's pretty full on. So yeah, it's great to further, you know, for Subaru fans that were originally um big fans of the series or have followed, you know, um Travis and, and his career with Subaru. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty impressive to 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 watch. Um and the car itself is just amazing. We talked about it on the show when we first saw the car all in carbon fiber. Then they released some pictures of it, but it has a very Hoonigan paint job on it. Um, but yeah, the the footage is wild. There's planes, there's boats, um, there's jumps, there's smoke. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty full on. So I'm looking forward for it to, for its release this week, um, and I'll probably uh, stay up. I think to try and watch it live when whenever it happens. Uh, they haven't given us given us a time as yet um but yeah it's uh, it's pretty cool so check out the the trailer which is on uh Hoonigan's, uh facebook page and it's coming out on their um youtube channel uh this week yeah i can't wait uh, and that's only a couple more sleeps anyway yeah it's not far away at all okay uh and finally in our motorsport news this one is kind of a bit weird given the the moves that audi are making which are part of the volkswagen um automotive group but volkswagen themselves as a brand are moving uh have essentially terminated 100 percent of their their motorsport activities so um i think there's about 164 169 staff um all of whom will be absorbed in the volkswagen automotive group in the coming months that's a lot um, of staff it's a time but that also you know so that includes things that they've been developing, like the IDR, which um, Chris Harris drove not too long ago um, and raved about it. Um, you know, the, the their TCR entry, their W, you know, their successful WRC program. Um, yeah, like this is a pretty big call and a very confusing one given that Volkswagen are pulling out to focus on certain things, but also, um, you know, there are other brands that belong part of that group are actively entering new and um, you know, non-electric uh, motorsport series as well. Yeah, I mean, the IDR is the current record holder at Pikes Peak. Um, you know, they've won numerous Dakars um, and WICs and everything else. They are going to continue to make parts for both the Golf GDI TCR car, which one of the, a couple of them have been raced here in Oz, um, and the Polo GDI R5 cars um and and for the wrc but they were building the gdi r5 for um the world rally championship and that will cease at the end of the year as well so it's it's sad that we're seeing so much of this um motorsport um sort of pull out by these brands um because you know for so many 
with fans, they love to be able to go and support the brand that they, um, you know, that they own cars for. So yeah, yeah I mean, they're trying to, they're saying that they're realigning and further focusing of the brand towards a more mobile electric era. And unfortunately that obviously doesn't fit with sort of motorsport. Um, uh, and yeah, that seems to be the, the common thing we're hearing from a couple of brands now. So yeah, it's sad. I mean, I hope that the, I mean, the obviously the IDR needs people to run it and stuff like that. Hopefully it, it might still make um, some appearances here and there, but I think more than likely it's going to end up. I don't really see. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a bit of sad news, but to, to end our motorsport section on, yeah. but it's, uh, it's, it was definitely one worthy to, to talk about. And um, yeah, but who knows without, with Volkswagen, they'll, they'll probably be back in a couple of years anyway. Who knows? Who knows where they might pop up and depends yeah. on what happens with, you know, yeah. the likes of Formula E and, and, you know, the Formula Extreme and things like that. We just don't know what they're going to, yeah. what they're going to do. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's uh, let's jump across to some local news, shall we? Um, with the Volkswagen continuing on that trend, uh, the Passat sedan and Arteon are going to be replaced, or as uh, the Cars Guard article says, to be axed um, with a new electric car, effectively to replace those slow-selling models. Um, I guess on one thing, yeah, that's a bit sad, particularly the Arteon, which is the large large sedan. I think it's a wonderful, gorgeous-looking car, just stunning-looking um, car. Yeah, but it, it makes sense that it's going to be paving way for fully electric models that they want to develop that brand with um, and perhaps, you know, not hold on to some of these nameplates that don't really add a lot of value overall to their to what they're trying to achieve. I think so much of it, we just talked about them pulling out of motorsports. So obviously they are, um, as a company, trying to reaffirm them or realign themselves onto where they are doing so well. And I think, you know, much to the hatred of a lot of people that, that aren't fan of the SUVs, SUV is their market. We now look yeah. at T-Rock and T-Cross. Um, we look at Tiguan um, and that it, it's where they're, bread and butter is and, and obviously yep, golf absolutely. and you know so much of those models they're so popular um and they're also moving into their id models as well so you know that id series of their electric vehicles um we've talked about id4 we've talked about there's a room at id6 so could be that maybe it's an id5 that replaces both this passat and arteon um you know, as a now as a Passat owner, I was very excited to see that the web the wagon um, models are continuing uh, at least for one more generation, which is which is great to see because they are a, a popular thing. And for example, here in Victoria, the police force are buying them quite quite big. They um they are running um uh, Passat wagons um as both marked and unmarked cars. Uh, they're also using I think Tiguans and Tuaregs as well. Um, so obviously, you know, there's there's a market for them for them here. Um, it's a shame that the you know the the, the new Arteon you know, the shooting break is going to retire around that same sort of time to when the wagon does, which is not till 2023. Yeah. So it'll it's be just interesting. You guys got excited for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know we 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 weren't confirmed to see that the they were talking about having that. RT on shooting break coming here, but um, it is cool that you know it may only live one one or two generations of it. Um, 
but yeah, they're obviously moving towards this ID platform and, and they're probably their SUV and obviously what else they're going to do in terms of, you know, with their, their hatchbacks and things like that, um, like the Golf and, and um, SUVs. So yeah, it'll be interesting to follow and, and to see what it does. But, you know, we know that sedans aren't a, a popular seller um, here in Australia. They they don't have the numbers like, you know, a lot of them, you know, we talked about um, obviously, you know, Holden have dropped it. Um, we, we were talking about it shortly about the the Liberty. We talked about that previously being f- as a finish, finishing model and, you know, the Mondeo from Ford, um, you know, the Commodore and the Falcon. So, the, you know, the, the sedans just don't seem to be selling as well. It, it's, it is that SUV market, um, but at least the, the wagon will continue for a short period of time. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's probably just uh, like what you mentioned, there's a bit of um, a bit of number of sales in that pipeline that they're, they're wanting to maximize and, and secure and who knows it could be an announcement not too far away that they're going to to retire that as well but yeah at least for now it's continuing and um you know for somebody like you it's 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 remaining which you you'll be happy mm. yeah exactly uh, it's good to see that it is but uh, i'm intrigued to see where the brand goes with with them finishing yeah. up where is it going to position itself mm. in in the market and is it going to be uh you know where will it will it put its priorities effectively absolutely yeah well i guess we'll uh just have to wait and see on that one and um i'm sure sooner rather than later there'll be a, a nice little press release landing in our um inboxes telling us what the answer is going to be yeah exactly okay so next news mitsubishi eclipse cross uh plug-in hybrid and um petrol models are now available in uh in japan and this is merely just a what japan gets is a pretty good indicator of what we're going to be getting here in australia to a certain degree so don't take uh so take everything that we say with a grain of salt but it's usually um you know gives a little bit of an insight into what is going on but most option most um most importantly, so in Japan, there's a number of different uh, trim models. So you've got uh, three trim levels, both in the FEV and the petrol models, um, with uh, bringing things like head-up display, uh, power outlet as well, um, radar cruise control, and, and those sorts of things. And pricing-wise, in Japan, the Eclipse Cross plug-in hybrid starts from three thousand, uh, sorry, three million eight hundred forty-eight nine hundred uh, yen. Which translates to about fifty thousand kilometers, uh, sorry, fifty thousand dollars here in Australia. So I expect that to sort of be fairly similar to the price point um, that we'll probably see with local pricing. What do you think, Joel? Uh, yeah, it's interesting to see. Um, I think we know that Mitsubishi here in Australia obviously like these FEV, um, you know, options. I think. Obviously, they've done. I think the Outlander has done well here. Uh, I think the Eclipse Cross will probably be a good seller here. So, I think um, it'll be interesting to watch and to see, you know, what kind of range we can expect out of it, um, and whether, you know, what it, what kind of specs that we get here. Um, yeah, I think it, it's it's interesting um, option. I, I don't know what the take up might be on it, but yeah. in saying that though, depending on where it's priced. 
will it compete against the the MG? Um, you know, that is currently the cheapest electric sort of vehicle yeah. uh, on the market. Where will they price it in terms mm. of where it will sit? So, yeah. It, I it's... feel like it would be a bit halfway between the RAV4 hybrid and the the MG because I mm. think it naturally it fits within there. Um, the Toyota obviously carries a bit of a premium. It's got a huge demand for it right now. Um, but then Mitsubishi are, are wanting to be a little bit aggressive. They tend to, um, you know, the the Outlander plug-in hybrid has definitely come, you know, become a lot more competitive in terms of price, and and, and as a result, we're seeing more on the road. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be very hard to compete with that EV price of the um, of the MG. Um, especially when you do have a plug-in model and um yeah i think it, it's just a tough thing to to work with um with it but you know i think it'll it probably won't have the same demand as the the rav4 but i could see government you know fleets picking these up um as a as a moderately priced with a decent range because you do have that fallback of the the petrol engine to to save you in a pickle as well yeah, exactly. It kind of that best of both worlds. I think is quite quite important to have for the, for those cars, particularly here in Oz at the moment. Absolutely, um, and another brand that isn't um, shying away from alternative options. Um, it's Hyundai, and they've been a huge pusher in terms of electric. They've invested billions of dollars lately in development of platforms and their technology, and they've come out and announced that you know they are launching a dedicated electric vehicle platform um further pushing you know their their strategic shift to electric vehicles and and hydrogen electric vehicles so um this really comes not much of a surprise i think it's pretty much a a a given that brands would be working on a you know a scalable and and modular platform to build all sorts of vehicles off um in the electric and especially because the electric vehicles see you know are a lot easier to adapt to left-hand drive right-hand drive and different vehicle sizes because if you want a bigger suv well you could add more battery cells to that and and up the the size of the electric motor without drastically changing a lot of things and i think um yeah so it's not really a huge surprise but i think they just wanted to come out and and reaffirm that yeah this is what they're doing yeah it's uh, interesting to see that they're trying to bring down the obviously trying to give it a good range of at least 500 k's they're trying to also drop the the price uh to around twenty five thousand. um this is exciting to see that a brand is really trying to push into that ev market and to make it more affordable as well um you know they're talking about promising 23 new evs including 11 all electrics by 2025 so a huge number it is it is and there's a lot of brands that are the trying to go down this route and trying to increase their um their ev um model range and and even hybrid range so yeah it'll be interesting to see what they do we know that how good the 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 kona has been um and you know that that is such a it's such a great car so yeah it's interesting to hear that they're trying to 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 expand that and to make it more affordable as well absolutely i think it's a big uh big step forwards and you know applies more pressure to to other other brands out there and what they're doing and also you know brings a challenge to mg which have got their you know their their platform now 
which they're adapting and obviously will continue to improve over time. And, um, you know, that, that deal around range and recharge time is really where the sticking point is, I think, for at least consumers in Australia um, once they get overpriced. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, it, it's like I said before, it's an, it's an obvious move, but um, at least they've been public and, and going, this is the direction that we're, we're going in. Um, so this this next bit of news, this is one that you uh, you can tell us about, um, and uh, and and you've actually driven it. So um, you took the photos, you you drove it obviously to get the photos. So what's your um, do you want to tell us a little bit about this vehicle? Yeah, so this is the the 2021 Toyota Supra um, has had a upgrade. So. It- it's now got an extra 35 kilowatts of power um, as well as um, increase to it's now up to 285 kilowatts which obviously allows for a faster um, not to 60 or not to 100 k's an hour um, it's now to around about 4.1 seconds um, and torque is basically unchanged but it's it, they've increased the the range that it's uh, available in um, and it's had a few other changes so now that we've got super logos on uh, on the calipers um, as well on the GDS model so yeah we uh, I had this for about half a day and literally went out to get these this imagery for for the guys at Toyota and uh, took my assistant along to, to get some shots and yeah so we had a a busy day driving some twisty roads and then finding a nice spot for the for our dusk shoot for it as well but um it was my first chance really to drive um the supra uh i haven't really been able to drive it i was really impressed um uh, there's a lot of people talking um and there was a bit of feedback i saw during the week people talking about is why is it not available in the manual well it doesn't need to be available in a manual it it drives perfectly fine with this or this automatic box you know i left it in auto most of the time um i think a couple of times i might have shifted with the paddles but it's just so responsive um yeah and it is so good to dr- to drive and it it cruises so well um in that auto setup um it's such a lovely car this the matte paint on this thing is absolutely brilliant um it's so good and it, it was a joy to photograph because of being matte um it photographs so well there's no real sort of reflections in it so it made it quite a quite an interesting challenge it's the first time I've ever really photographed a, a pure matte um, color in this darker color. I photographed matte white before, but it was a wrap as opposed to the actual paintwork. But one little interesting thing about it that I found is that um, you can just clean this car very easily and it doesn't need a lot of um, effort, just a little bit of water um, and, a, and a clean and a clean cloth um, and everything just literally comes off it. Uh, and it's very, very easy to clean mm. that the paint has been sort of so well done that um uh, that yeah everything just comes off it you know um so yeah it was very very impressed um i couldn't get over the space in it um we you know it's it's impressive isn't it yeah we fitted a fair bit of kit in it um for the shoot uh and yeah i was very very surprised just how much space um it, it had um but yeah a real pleasure to drive a really nice engine note in it as well um and yeah just it just handles so well on the on the roads and mm. um you do get a lot of looks in this thing because of the the color and um and just how aggressive it looks in this paint yeah. job um <laughs> Um, but yeah, very, 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 very impressed. It's cool that they're, they're, they've 
done the done the upgrade on it um and yeah it starts at around about uh just under ninety thousand for the gt and the gds which you can only buy in this in this um matte gray uh starts just under 100 and around about ninety seven thousand. um so yeah nice to see that it's just a slight um power tweak um mm. on it but yeah, it. Uh, I think it'll be for those that are uh, that are investing. Will uh, certainly like the uh, the power increase. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I I love the drive that we did um, in it out west. And uh, look, to be honest, it didn't really need the extra power. But of course, uh, naturally, you always go. You always welcome more power. Um, and best of all, it keeps that. Uh, like any good tune does, though, it it doesn't negatively affect the fuel economy. Um, and uh, yeah, they've retained a lot of things. One thing it's still missing is Apple CarPlay. Um, yeah, that's really a weird no, one. I, I'm really no excuse for it. Not missing. Surprised why it didn't make its way down to this model. Yeah. Um, Particularly when that same car in the US has it standard. Yeah, it it was weird because more and more models in the range now now have it, um, you know, in in the range. It's been a big complaint from owners um, that it is missing and that they don't have any plans to bring it in that vehicle. And when they were doing this update, it, it was the perfect opportunity to even, mm. even if they brought it only to this updated model and didn't bring it to the older ones, even though, again, there's really no reason why not to. Um, yeah, I, it's just mind-boggling that they would admit that when there's really yeah, no yeah. good reason. But even if it. they want to go, if they want to go down the subscription thing, you know, to pay for it, sure. If they want to be able to to offer that, um, I can understand if they want to go down that go down that route. But yeah, I was really surprised that it, it didn't have it, and there's got to be obviously a reason um, behind it. Um, but yeah, it uh, it was it was quite quite interesting that it doesn't have it. But um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> back to Volkswagen for a second. So that W580, which we spoke about, the the Amarok Special Edition um, that's coming from Walkinshaw. Um, so things that, you know, it is a tuned truck, a few visual things changing. It sold out. Forget about it for that first batch. It, it sold mm. out in less than five minutes, um, or as they say, less than 580 seconds. Um but obviously shows that there's an appetite for this vehicle and, and obviously which is great news for, for Walkinshaw now that they're having to do quite a bit of an adjustment to their business following HSV and its shift. Um, so it's, you know, and this is the first time they can really branch out from uh, from just uh, GM products. And, um, yeah, so that's that's on it, that first batch. But if you're wanting to get hold of one, get in touch with your dealer and, um, you know, see you know, push your name down if they do a further batches down the line, which I, you know, judging by the success, I feel like uh, they will be doing. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, oh, we kind of knew that it would sell out quick um, because, it, you know, being limited, limited edition, you know, opening it online, it just shows that this whole online ordering process just works because yeah. you can place your order and, you know, secure a car. It was a $500 deposit to drop down on it. Um so yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that um, 
yeah, the fact that they're going to have it, um, it's going to be a full-time member of the the lineup over the next two years. Um, but yeah, and you know, there's no power difference, but uh, everything else around it is mm. quite interesting for for what it offers. So yeah, I think it's great. It's good to see that they've they've gone down this route. And you know, as we said, I think when when they first announced it, we'd love to see more of them. You know, more more brands working on this, um, mm. and, or them doing it with more either more brands or with more um models in the Volkswagen range. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, what's interesting is that recently um, Volkswagen here in Oz showed that, you know, the, the local arm in Australia is going to be doing quite a bit to shape uh, not only the, the, the Ford Ranger, but also the Volkswagen Amarok, which, you know, they share a bit a bit between the two uh, moving forwards. And, um, yeah, I think it's this is a great way to move some units now and, um, you know, keeps me excited for what's coming in the future. If they continue to, to work with um, some Amarok special editions down the road. Yeah. It's interesting to see. And it's great. We've talked about it before, you know, both Kia and he and I, you know, generally try to, 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 to tune vehicles for our conditions. And there's so- Saying that um, that the next gen uh, Amarok will actually have some Australian input as well for it, so they're going to try and build one more for our conditions. So that's great. That's great. I mean, it's a popular model. Um, it's done obviously well, and the fact that they want to try and obviously do more with it here in Oz is yeah. you know is quite is quite exciting and great for the owners knowing that their car will be even better designed for our conditions. Absolutely. Um- one uh, which has a, a good name is the Subaru Outback. Um, we've had some details teased. Uh, what what can we what can we talk about the the sixth generation uh, Outback that's coming? Well, they're talking about going. Uh, it'd be it'll it'll be a turbo petrol, um, which is going to be interesting um, in terms of what they will do with that. You know, traditionally it has been a, a, a diesel engine. Um, yeah model um yeah but uh they're gonna be but subaru have announced that the models that are coming here will come with their own unique specification that won't be offered anywhere else in the world Mm. so that's pretty cool to hear um you know a lot of uh, markets particularly sort of the us have generally had their own version um it'll be generation is around is out over there in terms of the design and i think it looks quite good yeah it's a it's a nice sort of tweak from the current gen um, and it's a little bit I don't know hard to say so probably a little bit sharper in some areas mm. um, but yeah they're going to say that all versions that we get will be powered exclusively by a two and a half litre boxer engine um, and the fact that they might have a potential turbocharged one kind of a bit like a, a WRX engine in an Outback so that that's interesting if that's yeah. the, the way they go um, so yeah I'm surprised there's no mention of a hybrid version I would have thought you know yeah comes through they would be working on a hybrid but you know I'm, I'm happy for them to work on that tech a little bit longer if it means that we get a better hybrid system eventually um you know as as we've you know we've spoken about in the past the xv hybrid um you know and uh some of the other models of going on um but i but i think it would be nice it would have been nice to see an option here at least um even though we're completely speculating at this point because nothing's absolutely confirmed for our local market but yeah i would um i'd love to see a, a hybrid model even if it is just a slight tweak on the um on the uh 
the current technology, but I think overall very exciting, and I think it's going to be um, what what they're talking about here is going to be right up the alley of um, of super, you know those people who are wanting to buy a Subaru Outback, and also those who probably could be tempted to to cross over into one of these. Yeah, it's interesting. The other thing I noticed as well is that the infotainment system has changed a bit like the Coleos and having that now portrait orientation, yeah, yeah. which is really cool to see um, that they've going down that route. You know, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago that Subaru didn't even have sort of CarPlay and, and stuff like that. And the fact that they're That's now orientating their screen fully along it, they, they, they're really getting it. And so, yeah, they're, they're really coming up in terms of the range. You know, we've talked about the XV and the Forester um, with what they've done, particularly with the, the hybrid versions of those now. So I'm really excited for this outback i'll have to reach out to my friends at subaru and um when we finally get these announced and they hit the market here to, to get hold of one because i'm i'm intrigued I, I did look at one of these as an option for, against uh when cross shopping the the passat but yeah. the the which is a good thing for subaru owners these things really held their value and they were a lot more dollars um in terms of but subaru have generally been pretty good for their their resale values so um yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see um, what they're like when they when they land here. There's been no, uh, so they're saying that exact Aussie specs um, and pricing uh, are due early next year. Mm. So I look forward to hearing what they're um, they're gonna they're gonna do. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, yeah, and the Outback is just one of those names that people know, even if they haven't owned one. Um, the mm. Subaru Outback, I think, here in Oz is just a car that. Uh, they know exactly what it is. They know exactly what it stands for. Um, but it's kind of like what you know. The next model that we're going to be talking about, the the Toyota Land Cruiser. Um, it's about you know how do they how do they keep that brand moving forwards? How do they keep that you know that that brand recognition there, whilst also progressing it forwards and, and making it desirable to those extra few people that you know that will buy one. Yeah, we're all yeah, we're all excited to see. to see what's happening with the new 300 series and and when it's coming. Um, and there's talk that they're going to do a different version. The, 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 yeah. They have say that they've apparently trademarked the ZX um, Sahara um, as a model line, so that could be interesting to see what it is because traditionally it's been Sahara. the the, G, the GX the GXL and then the VX and Sahara. So yeah. the fact that they're going to do a Sahara ZX, um, yeah, could be quite interesting. Could be a new top of the range. It could be a um, a slightly different version of the Sahara. Yeah. So um, I, I feel like it yeah. could fit in above because also you know we'll, when even driving, you know, we do expect the 300 series Toyota Land Cruiser to change significantly from the 200 series. Um, the 200 series has been around for quite a long time now. Um, and it still remains a, a top seller and, you know, solidly in the top 10 vehicles sold um, almost every month. And, um, yeah, I think it's uh, – uh, I think it makes sense that even – because even what you can get into a Sahara for in terms of the money which they ask – there's there's a lot of other competitors out there asking a lot more money um, for arguably less of a product, and so they're probably seeing that as an opportunity to go. Well, we can put another vehicle that sits on top that perhaps is more again focused on the luxury type of market, um, and 
have that as an option. And as long as it has that fridge still in that center console, (laughs) I don't care. That is the hands down best feature. And and it's amazing to know that they've had it since the very first Sahara model. Um, Even though back then it was even better because it had an ice maker um, in there, not just a fridge. So... Yeah, as long as they have that, I'm okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think it, I'm really looking forward to seeing um, early next year is when we kind of expect all of the details to be coming out about the Land Cruiser and, you know, what it's going to look like uh, moving forward in terms of design features. And, and what and what engine uh, combination yeah. it's going to have. There's talk that yeah. the V8 will disappear and that will go to a, a V6. But, um, with the hybrid as well. Yeah, so. exactly. There's obviously the talk with the hybrid as well. Um, it's exciting to just to see what it is and like you said um it's been um uh it's been an interesting um thing to see what what's happening uh and what it'll do but yeah i think it it, because you said like you said it's been a massive volume seller for the brand um and they've, they've stopped it in the u.s um so you know i think australia are excited to see what what happens and where it's going to go yeah, I think uh, it's going to be a, an interesting. Yeah, it's, especially if they can keep that pricing where it is now and and really drive because, and and how much of the, uh, you know how much, how much of, um, that four drive heritage they can hold on to and 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 you know hold on to and, and really continue to drive forwards because it is such a vehicle that um people buy and flock to because they don't really have the same level of competition say from nissan and the patrol hmm. um, like it used to so and and, and the smaller four drives are changing and obviously dual cab utes are happening in their own way but you know there isn't quite anything like a land cruiser sahara and or even land cruiser in general that um you know sees the usage that it does across the world in in all sorts of situations um you know in and extreme places around the world yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, so we're, I think we're excited to see what happens and, and to where, uh, what it'll do in the market and when we'll get it. Hopefully they might announce something next year. Yeah, fingers crossed with uh, with that one. Um, but also Subaru, um, back onto them just one more quick time. So the Subaru Liberty, as we know, is is retiring um, here, in um, and uh, we won't be seeing it anymore. But they're doing a, a final edition, a, a good way to to send it out and uh, and to retire the name. Yeah, so they're going to do a run edition. Um, it's only going to have 31 examples, which yeah. is a tribute to the 31 years that it was sold here in Australia. Um, it, it basically takes uh, the 2.5 premium and adds about $6,500 of inclusions for only an extra $2,000. Uh, dollars on top of the standard car so you know that's about 40 grand so it's pretty good um and each one will be numbered with a final plaque in the cabin it'll be available in three colors 15 examples in the magnetic gray 10 examples in crystal black and six examples in the crystal white um it'll add 18 inch sti alloys sti front lip spoiler rear boot lip mesh front grille inserts harman carden sound system um 
ultra suede seat inserts and contrasting blue stitching and black trim highlights inside and out. Very similar to the Tune by um, STI uh, limited edition they did many years ago. So, yeah, this is really yeah. cool to see that they're going to go down this route and, and offer it. And I reckon those um, 31s will basically, those 31 will, will basically uh, snap up very, quick. very, yeah. very quickly. That's right. And, um, yeah, especially in these images that they're showing, it looks quite good. Yeah, Shame it looks great. Great. yeah, those STI wheels just look really good and they really help a massive way in yeah. um, in lifting that in that car. Just so much more of a sporty um, look to it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's the local news. Um, we have had a bit of breaking news um, just come through. So uh, Grosjean, uh, following the... Um, his accents that we just talked about. Um, he has been in Bahrain still, as he's obviously, um, as there is a double header here um, or there, I should say, we, we aren't in um, Bahrain. It would be great to, to be watching the race, but we're not. Um, but yeah, he will be missing the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, um, the season finale, bring his um, career. Um, at Haas uh, to a close and ultimately probably most likely um, Formula One race. And um, he had hoped to compete, um, you know, to, to cross the line just one last time. Um, it has been in the gym since leaving the hospital, but, um, but yeah, it was basically, he was prepared to, to admit that he wasn't prepared um, to, to go back for a race or for a race weekend. Um it is sad. It is a way, you know, this is, is an unfortunate end to, you know, to the career. But, um, you know, it has been positive to see that um, at least uh, I haven't seen any others at the moment, but Mercedes have offered uh, a private test at some point in the future in one of their cars um, for him to to get some closure in a Formula One car to do, you know, as Romain, Romain said, um, for 10, 15 laps just to, you know, have that final turn in a, in a Formula One car. So I think that's a, I'm sure other teams will offer that as well, particularly the ones that he raced for in the past, like Haas. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a unfortunate way to end the end of the career, but also I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's the, out of the situation that there was, it's probably, you know, the most ideal situation to have where it's an, you know, it's an accident like that. You can walk away and, and choose to end your career rather than having it, you know, um, uh, end any other way um, in that circumstance. Yeah. It's sad to hear him, you know, it seems to be that he's been recommended not to race uh, and, it's sad that that will be why he closes out his relationship with Haas and, and considering he's been with them since the beginning, but, you know, he's got to look after his health, number one. Um, it's great that Mercedes have offered him that drive if he wants to have one last, you know, go in a in a car, but I'm intrigued to see where he goes now. There was talk maybe he might go to IndyCar, um, maybe even sports car racing. Um, who knows? But I hope he does get back into a race car at some stage. Um, we wish him all the best for his recovery. Um, it's great that uh, Pietro Fittipaldi will be racing for um, obviously for Haas this weekend, but obviously again next weekend at um, or the next race at, at Yas Marina to finish out the season. Um, but yeah, I think it's best that Roman you know, looks after himself and and gets better. Um, obviously, you know you you, you need you, you're driving with your your hands in an F1 car is so important. Being at being at your utmost 
best and and being a peak condition, um, considering the stresses that you're going to have on it. So it's probably best that he that he does take the care and and rest up and then decide what he's going to do from there. So um, yeah, uh, we wish him all the best on his recovery. Of course, um, yeah. It's a it's still. It's a when you when you watch the footage, it's still a shocking thing and, and remarkable yeah. to see, um, you know, how someone was able to to escape that. Um, but let's carry on with. Uh, let's look at something a bit more, bit more lighthearted and a bit more fun, shall we? Um, with bring a trailer before we jump onto the last bits of uh, international news. Um, how do we go from last week? Any, any good results? So yeah. So what uh, we had last week was that poor Porsche 911 E Speedster. Uh, the reserve wasn't met. The high okay. speed was thirty eight and a half thousand. Yeah, uh, a little Buick Riviera. I was looking at again. No res- reserve, not met. That got to twenty nine and a half thousand. Um, the Celine Mustang from a couple of weeks ago ended up selling for twenty four and a half. So about what I thought it probably would. That twenty five to thirty thousand. Um, the XJ two twenty as well from the other week ended up selling for four hundred and twenty thousand dollars, which is probably cheap for that. Um, yep. I would have thought that would probably be a lot closer to a uh, to a, to a million bucks for something of that rarity. Um, and then the SRT Dodge Ram, the Night Runner, sold for fifty thousand. So, um, pretty good money for for those things in terms of what Absolutely, they were selling for. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what did you find this week, Ash? Oh, uh, look, this was a pretty easy one for me. Um, it's at <laughs> current bid is one point six million dollars. Um, with two days to go, it is a 1957 BMW 507 Series 2 with a hardtop. Uh, yes, um, I did see that. So it's one of about 250 that were built. This is, um, of course, the, the Series 2 vehicle. Um, but, yeah, it's in, you know, delivered. Um, it was delivered new with a black exterior. It's still color matched. It's got a factory hardtop as well, which I'm... Uh, I would understand to be extremely rare these days. Um, it does have a replacement 3.2 liter aluminium V8 though, so it's not the original motor. Um, and it does have a four-speed ZF manual transmission. Um, it's got about 14,000 kilometers on it. And um, yeah, it's a stunning looking car. Unbelievable to, to look at. Yeah, that uh, it's, an, it's just one of those unique cars. That that thing. It's just one of those things that BMW did, and it's just uh, obviously it's so popular that you can just yeah. see by the price how much people rate it. Absolutely, and it's got a most importantly a full and uh, complete toolkit. <laughs> Always is, important. Uh, you- yeah, it's a hard thing to come by uh, in these cars, let alone the rest of the vehicle. Yeah, exactly. Um, but how did you? How did you go? What did you? So I've got a couple of honourable mentions this week. There's a nice uh, 401 powered 68 AMC AMX four speed, um, which is quite a nice looking thing. So that was uh, that's currently at 17 grand with four days to go. Um, I found a 99 Saab 93 Vigan. That uh, awesome. Um, they only made 400. 20 for those for the US market. Um, that was the 2.3 litre inline four paired with the five speed manual and front wheel drive. Uh, seven and a half grand with four days to go. Yeah. Then there was another, um, there was a 91 Audi 200 Quattro, um, five speed. Um, this thing is really nice. It's in that pearl white, uh, really cool looking thing. It, um, 
Uh, it's current. It's got six days left. Current bids at three, just over, just under three and a half grand. Um, really, really nice because it runs a turbocharged two point two liter uh, inline five, um, which means it'll have a really nice, unique sound. Mm. But my, uh, it wasn't until I got right to the bottom of the page that I actually found mine this week, um, which is a. Uh, 1982 Lamborghini Countach LP400S. Uh, this thing is stunning. One of only 105 Series 2s um, produced and just glorious in that red paintwork. Um, it is interesting. It, it's in Illinois, but it doesn't have that ugly US bumper that they have, and you probably remember seeing it from uh, Cannonball Run, yeah. the film. Um, this thing is just absolutely glorious in the in this red paintwork. Um, yeah, it's done 31,000 Ks, just under 19,000 miles um, with obviously the standard, you know, telephone-style wheels, as they would generally say, um, with that lovely cream interior. Um, just an absolute work of art. This is obviously one of my dream cars, this thing. But, yeah, it's uh, I got 16 days left, so quite a long auction still to go, and it's already at $230,000. Yeah, it feels like a bargain at two hundred and thirty. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what it goes for. So yeah, sixteen you know, days to go. It's got. It's got to be. So the extra two twenty went for four hundred thousand. Will this? I think this will probably easily beat it. Yeah. I reckon it'll probably be. I, I might be wrong, but I reckon probably about three quarters of a million. It might end up going for so. It'll be interesting yeah. to see. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that and uh, the five hundred seven goes. Uh, and see where they end up. <laughs> Yeah, let's see what the final the final sale is for it. Yeah. Okay, should we uh, jump onto this international news? So yeah, our last bit for the day. Yeah. Um, before I'm, then I'll head outside and cool down a little bit. I think I'll <laughs> jump in and find a hose or something and, and hose off. Um, but this is extremely cool. So um, it's a wide body duster, um, and I think this design just looks fantastic. But I don't really understand what am I looking at. So it's it's uh, it's a Renault. It's it's yeah the Renault Dustier, which I think is one of those things. It's just a little bit different. It, it's I think from the way I read it is it's it's actually a render, so it's not an actual car. Yeah, okay. Um, rendering now is so good with these sort of things. That uh, it's criminal. You, you, it's really hard to see what's real and what's not. But someone's just gone out and created this awesome, um, you know, this, this awesome render. Um, and, yeah, you know, it, it's a project. The the, the the Duster is obviously a project between Dacia and, and Renault. And if you've ever watched Top Gear, you know how much James May is a fan of the the, the Duster. And, you know, yeah. the guys have, have bought him one in the past and stuff like that. So um, the fact that someone's gone and hotted one up, I, I'd be interested to see whether James May has seen this and actually commented on it. But, yeah, yeah it's a pretty cool render to see what they've created. Yeah, I think uh, I love it when people, you know, use a bit of creativity and, and, and see what they can build or design in this way and how how good they get it. But, yeah, it's just I kind of expect this to, to make an appearance at Seymour or something, you know, where they show off these sorts of things. Yeah, it's it's a cool concept and it's nice, but it'd be good if um if it was a real car and someone yeah. had actually built uh, it. I agree. <laughs> yeah, um, but this one, this next bit was certainly uh certainly fascinating in terms of the process which they're going to. But um, 
heading out of New Orleans a little quite a while ago now um, is a cargo ship uh, that's designed to transport cars. Um, but an apparent internal fire caused it to turn on its side and basically, you know, mostly capsize. Unfortunately, destroying all the vehicles inside of it, of course, including the ship as well. Um, but the images and the photos and the video, also the photos and the videos that have turned up, um, are just incredible to see and, and how they've done this. Um, yeah, certainly, we'll, we'll have the link in the in the show notes, and it's worth checking it out. But just think of this massive ship full of cars, and they're basically create using this special. Um, special tool to basically cut the ship up and and then have at it yeah so literally it's it's interesting process generally we're in a a ship of this size capsizes there's not a lot you can really do to try and ride it so generally what they end up doing is end up riding it off and and literally cutting it up and they use these massive chains which they have to build these big pontoons that sit over the top of it and then they literally carve through the um through the ship with this massive chain and and in the link that we're going to share you'll actually see um footage of the chain actually cutting um through the through the ship and um yeah and it's interesting they've actually pulled the first piece of it so um they've been working on this project for a while to, obviously with weather and stuff they were delayed but now they're actually on their way cutting through it but the images are fascinating just to see what this chain is doing and how much it's just shredding this this massive boat apart but the, as part of it once they've pulled it apart you can actually see inside um and you can see what's left of the cars um and it's just a for any car fan it's a tragic sight with these massive suvs um you know look like chevy suburbans and gmc trucks and stuff it's just a absolutely tragic sight seeing all these cars um absolutely destroyed in inside and in a lot of them have been sitting underwater for for months and yeah they're not in a not in a good way um But unfortunately, all these cars, almost 4,000 of them, are all destined for the scrap heap, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, it's just, uh, uh, like what you said, it's just a, an awful thing to to see, isn't it? Just uh, yeah. to know that there's nothing they can do with them except for turn them to scrap and uh, unfortunately add to the, to the pile of things that will probably never fully get recycled or, or reused. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, it's uh, hopefully they take some lessons out of what happened and improve. Um, what are these systems um, that that caused the the fire in the first place? Yeah, and they, I don't think they've actually said what caused it, but um, yeah, it's it's an interesting um, process just to see. And there was some other footage that they were talking about um, that appeared earlier that actually showed when they first did a survey of the ship, they used uh, LIDAR to actually look inside yeah. to see what state it was and how far the water was into it. And yeah, this um, it's fascinating stuff, this kind of um, salvage process and what they have to go through and, and things like that. So as I said, this is only the first piece that's been cut up. So we're going to see probably a lot more of these pictures uh, over the coming months as they cut more of it up and we'll see more of the, the different cars that were aboard. Yeah, it's, uh, I think I'll, I'll, I'll eagerly wait because there's certainly no <laughs> shortage of photos or videos at the moment even. No, and the, and the video in that article is interesting. You can actually hear the chain cutting through the, through the ship yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay, last bit of international news. This was an interesting one. So Mini, obviously they've, they've got their their mini EV at the moment. Um, but 
the next step is, well, are we going to be having any performance models? And I think the future looks good because many have developed an EV concept for JCW video, uh, vehicles to, I guess, to start showing that, um, you know, this is the way forward and there's certainly a pathway for JCW electric vehicles moving forward. So the new architecture itself is to offer, you know, additional freedom um, when it comes to, to expanding that model range um, and, you know, things about uh, vehicle range and power delivery is all going to be part of that. Um, and the challenge is being, being a mini um, you do have a constrained floor space and, and area to work with. So you've got to maximize what you have. And um, particularly if you're going performance orientated, um, that introduces a whole heap of new challenges as well. But it's exciting to see this uh, coming along. Um, and, you know, I think this is part of this renewed spirit in electric vehicles that um, has been mini- missing from BMW and, uh, and, and their associated brands for a little while. Um, um, now, but obviously this new momentum is very exciting. Yeah, it's really interesting to see that they've done that. I think there's potential to, to make quite a hot model at the end of the day. It's going to be a plug-in hybrid, um, you know, expecting pretty pretty impressive fuel economy, you know, 2 yeah. point to 1.7 litres per 100 Ks. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to see. It looks pretty good too, the picture they've released of it. Um, it's still an aggressive-looking thing, obviously, being a JCW. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it will be interesting to follow this and, and to see what, um, particularly the range, um, what it'll get, um, and what kind of performance it'll offer. Yeah, I think that that's the questions that we're all going to have. We know um, what similar brands are like in terms of their performance, like the Model 3 from Tesla is a great example. Um, but there's just a little bit too much unknown at the moment, but I expect, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll learn more in probably 18 months to, to 24 months um, with the usual cycle that these types of vehicles take. Um, I'll very much welcome more information sooner, but um, if they're already starting to share info, I um, we could potentially even start to see, you know, they might even share some of this product development journey um, for an, an electric JCW because it would be a certain, I'm sure there's a number of engineering problems they have to solve to, to get get there and uh, I'm sure it'd be fascinating to learn how they did that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so, um, you know, we joked about it last week, but now it's no longer a joke and it's serious. Um, new week, new Lego, um, specifically uh, Technic car model Lego. Um, and this week, it's the Jeep Wrangler Rubicon. Um, so, Joel, what do you think? Uh, what do you think of this new set? That yeah, this uh, is cool. It, it's um, one that came across the, the desk this week. It was kind of funny. I couldn't believe it when I saw that we'd had another new uh, Lego hit the uh, hit the market. Um, yeah. It, they seem to be getting a little bit smaller. Um, this is only a 665-piece model, so it's not um, not a massively big one like some of the other techniques that have come out. Yeah. Um, so I think the McLaren we talked about um, is a, a little bit more than this in terms of numbers, and I think the Ferrari we talked about last week is um is more again but it's going to be another it's going to be busy time early january for a lot of lego fans because this is launching on the first of january as well um 
so yeah, it's quite quite exciting to to have this, particularly if you're uh, you know a current gen Jeep Wrangler owner and yeah. or you get you're about to buy one. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's cool to see that more of these brands. You know, we've got three sort of new brands to the to the Lego family. Or McLaren have been around, but they've done the Speed Champions before. But the fact that we've now got you know Jeep and Ferrari um, into this sort of Technic range uh, is pretty cool. You know the 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 speed champions have been great. We've obviously had Ferraris in in the the speed champion range, but the fact that we've now got these brands stepping up into um, Technic is is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, to see that, so yeah, I'm excited. Um, I I'm, love the tires on this thing. It's yeah, nice. it's good, and the yeah. little winch on the front, and, and you know doors and everything that open and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I think it, it's it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, in terms of what they're they're now doing with with stuff that they're creating, uh, it's just getting hard for uh, us Lego fans to keep up. It's uh, every year yeah, there's new stuff, yeah. new stuff coming. Uh, it's getting more and more addictive to to keep keep up with it all. Yeah, uh, price point wise, I'm, I don't have any Australian pricing in front of me, but it looks like it's going to be uh, retailing for about fifty dollars US. Um, so you know whatever that conversion is at that you know when they decide to release it um but yeah i think that's you know even if you convert that to let's say 80 dollars, i think that's a pretty fair price um for something like this um it certainly doesn't need to be a, a 300 dollars set like some others have been yeah i don't think so i think it'll be more affordable because that's smaller pieces as well yeah, so absolutely. i would say probably between 100 and 150 it'll probably be for us yeah. uh roughly in that sort of market but who knows once it until it once it actually lands so yeah oh well um i think uh i think we wrap things up here we get organized and uh set the alarms to watch the sakia uh grand prix and and see how you know these new drivers and new teams um go uh in the in this penultimate race before abu dhabi and the, the wrap-up of the season and um yeah watch out for all the drama and news then we can come back and discuss it all next yeah, week exactly all right. Uh, well, anything uh, anything of note coming up next week for you? Uh, not really this week. Um, there'll be some more stuff hopefully this week I can talk about from past weeks. Um, okay. Just waiting for stuff to, to, to be announced, which will be uh, which will be cool. Um, but yeah, I think uh, looking forward to things are starting to sort of quieten down, leading up to leading up to Christmas. Um, we, we we were talking before the show just what what the news cycle will be like over the coming weeks as as, as we start getting closer to that Christmas shut off so um you've got a couple of cool cars uh coming up i'm interested to hear how you go with the uh um the genesis this week and yeah, yeah and, and intrigued to see what uh what kind of news we get and then obviously the silly season i think we'll be keeping an eye on for supercars as well as more announcements are made yeah absolutely and um no i think it uh it's it's an interesting time of year we've got obviously the wrap-up of a lot of motorsport seasons we've got car makers squeezing out um uh, announcements when they can because obviously you know over that christmas period no one really releases anything um or if if they do it's usually because they forgot to tell people about it before <laughs> the christmas break um and somebody's realized and heads will roll if they don't push it out um but yeah i think it's a particularly with formula one thankfully with formula one it's kept things interesting um and uh yeah see what happens this week yeah exactly 
All right, then, until then, uh, if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, uh, feel free. Uh, we'll appreciate the feedback and um, helps us get more exposed to, to new listeners. Um, if you have any questions, we'll always welcome uh, listener questions, uh, whether you're wanting to, to buy a car, learn something about a car, or um, you know, simply want us to review a vehicle. So you can always email us at shows at dailyautofix.com and um, yeah you can follow Joel at Joel Strick Photo or us at, at Daily Autofix uh, but until next week uh, drive safe stay cool stay warm or you know wherever you are and what the temperatures are but yeah, stay comfortable how about that um, and until then uh, we'll see you next week see you next week